Hello everybody to the second podcast. Um, I hope you're all enjoying your November, I believe it's November when you'll be listening to this. I'm here with um, Jo, who is my personal counsellor, and today I'm going to be asking her um, certain uh, questions and I hope it'll help you guys and um, yeah, hopefully this will um, help as many people as possible. Okay, hi Jo, uh, how are you today? All right, thank you. It's nice to talk to you. Yeah, okay. Right. First question I've got for you mm-hmm. is why did you choose to get into this type line of work in the first place? And when did it first pop into your head, this prospect of becoming a therapist? Um, I suppose, to be honest, I was always struggling with my own mental health, with anxiety and depression. And I was always on a journey to heal myself. So... I read a lot of self-help books and I was always on this sort of journey. And then a chance remark by somebody um, that I knew from a church I went to to say, why don't you be a counsellor, just sparked my interest. And I thought, wow, why not? I'm going to go on that journey. So yeah. that's that no. really. So, so it's from a church then? So yeah, from somebody from I knew from church, yeah. That's really, that's really cool. All right. Next up, I've got... Um, Right, what what are three things that pop into your head when I say mental health? First three things. First three things. Um, well, you can have good mental health. Um, anxiety, like I've said, depression, because I've experienced them. Um, yeah, I think okay. that's three things. No, that's really good. Thank you. Okay. What is it about this job that makes it rewarding for you? Um, because I'm in a very privileged position that people share with me their lives. They may not have anyone else in their world that they can really share these deep things with. And because it's a confidential space, I find that people open up. So it's a privilege for me to be on people's journeys. Like, in yeah. a sense, I'm, I'm helping you and yours. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, you get to really help people and really um does it like make you feel better does it make you does it actually this actually links to another one of my questions i've got has has this type line of work made you grow grow as a person as well absolutely 100 percent. i mean i'm always on that journey of growth i always want to do more and i'm always learning i'm always doing courses um and i'm always i want to explore my own ways that I react the better, the better I become for myself the better counsellor I can be for others it's like holding up a mirror yeah okay um what are the types of therapy that can be given from mental well-being so I'm not talking about like what type of therapy you do but could you like sort of like name the types of therapy that could be like given to people so like I know you have like talking therapy but do you know like any other types of therapy I mean, there's hundreds of different types of therapy, Jamie. I mean, I can speak from the ones that, that perhaps I use, um, but, you know, most people heard of CBT, Cognitive Behaviour Therapy, oh, yeah. um, is very, very popular, and there are certain NHS uh, protocols that they use. Uh, they use a, a one for depression, counselling for depression and things like that. Um, but I believe it's about the relationship very for, foremost and fundamentally, um, but I do use things like a lot of creativity in my yeah. work, um, and 
you know, there's, there's, there's names I could reel off, but I don't know, you know, transactional analysis, gestalt therapy, um, psychodynamic therapy, Jungian therapy, um, to names just a few. There are compassion focused yeah. therapy. Yes, I could, you know, bore everyone to tears. But no, that does sound actually really interesting. So they're all like different, different, would you say you have different, in different regions in the world, would you have like different types of therapy? So like compared to the UK, into a place like say in like China would you say we have very different types of therapy that take care of our mental well-being or would you say they're very quite similar to be honest that's an interesting question it's something that I have not explored the sort of therapy that people have um, in different regions of the world actually I'm not sure whether what therapy might even be accessible to people in China I mean there's different regimes and different um, different uh, governments and things that will um, talk about how they're going to help the mental being of their well-being of their people so actually i don't know the answer to that question yeah. no that's fine um also could you describe more in depth about your style of therapy i know you said it was about like creative therapy but could you please explain what that is a bit more yes um i suppose it might helps doesn't it i mean i use um i think the power of something symbolic or a visual image is very powerful so people can talk and talk and talk, but I always remembered having my own therapy where I I used a sand tray. This was many years ago, and I picked some figures to represent some people in my life and put them in this sand tray. And it was just a very powerful moment. I've never, ever forgotten it. And I always thought I'd love to work with that in something like that in therapy. So using little figures or animals or um, drawing, um, can really help to unlock the unconscious. Yeah. No, that's that really, thank you for that. It really helps. Okay. Um, uh, do you think talking therapy, actually, you know what? Let's not, we'll move on from that one. Um, with the events of like COVID and with like the rise of like social media, do you think mental health is becoming a more talked about subject? Um, so yeah, that's, that's my question towards you. Um, more talked about subject, yes. Um, I think there's definitely a, a new pandemic, which is mental health, bad mental health. Um, as I said before, we say mental health, but actually you can have good mental health. So of bad mental health and people have, have really struggling after COVID even, this, the isolation that people felt um, from, from being locked up and couldn't go out. Um, and social media, absolutely, you know, um, it used to be that if there was stuff going on at school, it stopped at the school gates. Now that everyone's got access to phones 24-7 and things carry on. Yeah. And it's bad images, I think, often on social media about how we should look, how we should be, which doesn't represent the real general person, to be honest yeah. with you. So, yeah, that's what I was going to ask, what you just said, thought, like your thoughts on social media and how it affects our mental health. So you said, like, obviously, <clears throat> when people look at certain pictures of other people on social media about how, like, their lives are quite, like, they might be quite glamorous or, mm. like, they might have, like, the perfect body and stuff like that, that, do you think that could definitely be um, a factor on why kids today or anyone gets anxiety and, like, depression and that kind of... Yeah, most definitely. I think um, it has an impact, you know, if we look at, if you look at social media in any context, if there's some Facebook, for example, I don't tend to use all the ones that you young people use, like TikTok and, and 
Instagram mm. and all of those. I just look at Facebook, but even then, just looking at uh, um, people talking on locally on one of the discussion pages, there seems to be a lot of hatred about, and we're not necessarily building people up. And body image, I mean, yeah, it's a huge area we could talk for hours about, Jamie, but I yeah. think, um, yeah, it definitely has an impact, is, is the answer to your question, I think. <clears throat> okay, thank you. Um, okay, um, some things... Uh, you can okay so do you what things would you suggest to somebody to boost their mood every day in your opinion if you were feeling quite low what is one thing that someone could do every day to support themselves and to boost their mood throughout the day for the day <clears throat> just one the, thing one thing okay there's loads of things that come to mind okay the first thing that came to my mind there's lots of was a gratitude you know even on the darkest days there's usually something to be grateful for, whether it's the fact that you've just got up that morning and you're breathing or that the sun is shining. I think gratitude for what you have got. Now, not to be, um, you should be grateful for everything you've got and you shouldn't be depressed. I don't mean that. But even in the darkest days, there's usually something to really be grateful for. Um, and, and the breath. I know you said one thing, but breathing. No, honestly, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. It's, yeah, just... Noticing anything, it, yeah. Mm. yeah, so hopefully they can. Someone listening to this, hopefully, you can take that away mm. and listen to that and focus on what you can be grateful for from your day to day, even if it seems like everything, even if it seems like it's hopeless. Okay, um, what things would you recommend people to do if they are struggling with mental health at home and are too scared to get help? Like, who wants support? So um, so what I mean by that is how could, if somebody's too scared to get help and they're too scared because they've got so much anxiety built up, like kind of like how I was, yeah. um, but what if they too too scared to even ask for help or ask to see a therapist or ask to talk to anybody, like what if they're you know, trapped in their own mind, what is something you would suggest to them to help them to get help, to to help them to find help. Yeah, I mean, if someone's really scared, it's difficult, of course, um, if you don't feel you can reach out for help, but there are lots of good places to, you know, even if they're very desperate, you reach out, can reach out to the Samaritans who will talk to you on the phone if you're really desperate, but places like Childline, and there's lots of good organisations that have like free phone numbers um, yeah. that you can contact. Um, you know it's hard if you're scared you know and and but to reach out for help is the biggest thing you can ever do because i don't think when you're trapped in your mind you can go around and read books but you need that connection so yeah. even if it's with groups of people and you know i you know what you're doing and reaching out and trying to help others i think is great because people need to, to sort of realize they're not in it alone there are lots of people out there that are that are struggling as well so don't always find some way to reach out however scared you are yeah. there's going to be something there will be a lifeline somewhere there will be something so we're saying is there something always that they can within their comfort zone always reach out to to try and find someone to help them bring them out of that and because essentially they um i think when you're in that kind of depth of fear i think the sometimes it's hard to pull yourself out of things yeah. and sometimes you just need a little helping hand to pull you out so you so as long as they can just 
there's always be something to a look something someone's hand to grab to pull them out yeah yeah just reach somewhere. out somewhere even if it's just a a friend that a safe friend that you can just say something to um it's so hard when you're scared though but yeah see if you could reach out because i've found that if you just say you 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 perhaps think so scared that someone mm. isn't going to help you but you'll be surprised at how would you, would you suggest you anything like um possibly like in, if they if they really can't talk to anybody or that like like writing down your thoughts or like um talk or talking over your thoughts just by yourself because sometimes it's better to like release a thing and things like just like pets and stuff as well i think yes, they yeah, can I, like even though they're not a human being you know they're they're still a, a being to absolutely. that can get you through things really good really good points you raise there i think that's great yeah animals because actually so many people that lose trust perhaps in humans if they've got a pet you can talk to your pet it doesn't talk back but i think there's a real bond and yeah. I, I believe that you can you know talk to your animals and they talk back somehow but you, you, there's a bond between some, so many people there's some mm. kind of energy that can yeah absolutely bring you together and really keep you as sort of like a proper like family mm. so when since they're like family it's, it's almost like you are telling another family member your thoughts and it's you know it's relieving so i think that's helpful definitely yeah helpful. No, good very good um, how, okay yeah. next one i got is how different is the acceptance of mental health problems from twin uh, from like now in 2022 to when you were a kid so when you were younger what so if you told people that you had anxiety would people like brush it off or like would they take it into account and actually try and like help you with it? I think it was very much for me personally was brushed off. Um, there was a sort of, you know, I, I, I was growing up in the 70s. I was born in the 60s but grew up in the 70s. So there wasn't, I didn't seem like there was support there. And, and for me, the comment was a bit you know it's your age you're just going through an age thing and your anxiety you'll be all right sort of thing um it so it wasn't really taken seriously so i sort of stopped really telling people about how i felt and tried to deal with it myself and hence reading the self-help and all the rest of it but it no it, it probably for me personally wasn't taken as a serious thing that this anxiety was really uh sort of disrupting my life yeah um yeah i think it's uh i'm I'm glad that it has uh you know it's a lot more being able to be talked about now and that you know as an adult you can uh to express it and stuff so it's so it it's mm -hmm. definitely i think a step forward for uh for humanity i think really um do you do you think there's a stigma about going to therapy like people will judge you and label you as possibly like dangerous or mad like so if it, as me going to therapy do you think there's like labels that get put on people like me that say that i don't know we might be like like psychotic i don't know i think a stigma probably still is out there about therapies if you you've got a problem um, but I think it's much more acceptable now that people go to therapy 
and people are quite open about it it seems to me you know a lot of the most of the people that I work with um, have often said to me people know that they go therapy and think it's a good thing so there probably aren't many that say oh I'd never tell someone I'm going to therapy so for me it seems like it is quite an acceptable thing um, I'm not sure about maybe your age and younger I tend to work with more your age and upwards um, so that's what 17 upwards sort of thing 16 yeah. upwards I tend to work with I haven't don't work with really young people now um, but I wonder if there is maybe a bit of a stigma maybe that's you know more your domain yeah. is what the stigma is maybe for people yeah. like so your do you age think, and younger do you think maybe there's a stigma about younger people going to therapy and then instead of older people like would you say like if a if a 50 year old declared he was going to therapy would you think that people would judge him less than like a 14 year old going to therapy or would you think that people would judge maybe their parents more if a 14 year old went to therapy like do you think there's mm. more of a judgment around younger people going to therapy compared to older people i don't think so i mean obviously i'm not I mean, I'm being honest about my limitations in my expertise in different things. It's probably not my expertise, but I'd like to hope that stigma is being is being less. You know, we know that the mental health is being talked about all the time, everywhere. So we need to do things to support people with mental health problems. Um, so whether they're young or old. Um, and obviously services like CAMS and things like that are very much overloaded with people who need support and help. And it doesn't seem that, you know, in my experience, there's a huge amount of support for the young people um, when it's severe. You mentioned the word psychotic when somebody perhaps is in a really, in a really desperate state. Um, yeah. But let's hope that can improve um, with yeah. things like this or people talking about it more or being more honest about it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, since it's becoming more open, it's think it's uh, definitely becoming it's definitely a lot more normalised. Since especially from COVID as well. So um, anyway, uh, what do other people think of you being a ther therapist? I think you touched on this a little bit, but like family and friends, like obviously you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But um, what do other people think about you being a counsellor? Um, does it see any positive light, negative light? Um, I mean, it's a good question, really. I like the question, what do people think about it? I suppose it's not interesting. My sister is also a therapist. Yeah. Uh, she That's works predominantly with um, children and young people in schools. Yeah. So we have common ground. So mm. we, we we talk and maybe encourage each other. What So, I, you know, she works with children. When I wanted to work with children, she helped me a lot with with things like that. Um, I think there's a real positive thing on it. I mean, I don't, because the nature of the work, you don't tend to talk about your work because yeah, of the exactly. confidentiality. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a general, people sometimes will say, oh, I couldn't do that. How do you deal with listening to people's problems all day long? So yeah. I sometimes get comments like that, oh, I could never do that. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, maybe things like that. I'm not sure about the positive things. I mean, again, it's something that I don't talk about that much. Um, but yeah, it's a good good question. Mm. Okay. Thank you for that. That's really interesting.
Um, where did you train to become a therapist and how did you do it? So, like, uh, did you go on a course maybe or uh, did you go to a college or like? Um, well, when I did it, which was about 12 years ago, I did like a. I'd done various levels of it and it might have all changed a little bit now, but you know, you did like a level one introduction to counselling or whatever it was then. And then you, I think there was another level and then uh, then you went to the diploma. So then that's a two year. So eventually it takes about four years all in all. Um, and I did it through uh, a training organisation. So I didn't actually go to a college, but there was a venue and we did it, um, studied weekends and evenings and things like that. Um, but I think there's a lot of people do it at college now and there's different ways of doing it. So, so was it a bit like a night school type thing? Yeah, we d- I it... think we did like an <laughs> evenings, what, a couple of evenings a month and then we did some weekends, whole weekends and that. Um, yeah, okay. But I think you can so, do it at college now, South Essex College. Did you get like a course. qualification from it? Yeah, so I've di- got to have a diploma. Oh, so is that like a level three? Level, level four? four, I think that would be. Okay, so that's four. like a, uh, that's like an undergraduate, isn't it like a, Bachelor's degree something? I don't know. Oh, don't something ask like me, that. Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, level four. And then I did start after the level four to do another year to make it convert it into a degree. Yeah. But I didn't actually complete the whole year to, to finish my degree. Otherwise, I would have had a degree. But uh, um, since then, I've done accreditation, which is something else you can do once you're qualified and you've done so many hours, you can become accredited. Um, which gives you more job opportunities yeah. um, and perhaps gives you a bit better money. Um, so, you, so um, how long have you actually been doing counselling for, like, um, yeah, mean, your full career? So you do, um, um, you know, you do a lot of placement hours initially. So you do, you have to get sort of trained by doing hours for nothing, basically, to yeah. your placement. So, but but properly, I uh, qualified properly in two thousand and twelve. So. 10 years I've been right. doing it properly and uh, working via telephone now and Zoom. Mm. Um, it always used to be face to face, of course, but now yeah. it's very much so changed. Do you think, do you think, what do you think is the most effective like therapy? Do you think it's face to face, calling, Zoom? Like, what do you think is the best way to really uh, talk to someone about their emotions and really like dig into them, really get all the you know, you know what I mean? Like, try and yeah. reach into their problems. I think um, nothing really probably beats the face-to-face connection in a sense because you're with somebody, you're observing someone's body language, um, you know, that you're creating a space, safe space. That's what, you know, I try and do very much, create a safe space in my therapy room. Um, but, you know, we've obviously we've not been able to do that over lockdown, Um you know adapt I've adapted and I didn't think telephone counselling would ever be something I would relate to or want to do but actually yeah. that's the bulk of my work at the moment really? I doing telephone work and um, I I think it does make a difference and I actually quite enjoy it so that's interesting and zoom of course um, you know obviously you've got the, the visual there as well but um, but I think telephone can be very effective, uh, to, to oh. be honest with you. I'm used to it. I think it takes for a while for a therapist to get used to it because obviously you've only got your 
your hearing to rely on. Yeah, exactly. But I think it, like anything, that can become very attuned once you get into it and you can pick up so much more from a person's voice. Yeah. So that could be like, um, you could sort of like link that back to, as we were saying before about if people are too scared to get help, maybe they can sort out something by just doing a telephone call mm. to somebody mm. and just talking to somebody over the phone if they don't want to be face to face with them in the same room as mm. them, actually looking at them. Do it, you know, f- do it one evening while you're at your own house, in your own comfort, in your own living room and just have a conversation with somebody over the phone. I think mm. I think that would definitely help people. Definitely. Okay. Um, thank you for that. Um, okay. Uh, do you think that there's like a negative stigma in antidepressants? So when somebody says they take like antidepressants, do you think people see that as like, oh my word, like that's what the hell, like, that's insane, like, he's, he's psychotic, like, do you, but do you, um, but do you think there's, but do you then do, on the other hand, do you think people might see it as, oh no, he's, you know, there's something, it's, it's not such a bad thing, do you know what I mean, so, what, what do you, what it's do you a about? huge area to, to go into and talk about, about the use of, um, medication for depression, all I can say in this, perhaps, short, sort of time here, is that, I don't believe they're the answer. I believe they can certainly um, get you through a difficult time. They might be able to just. You know, I've taken antidepressants myself. Yeah. Uh, many times over the years, and I would say they definitely sort of helped and supported bad times. But the work needs to come from an inner place, and it, and yeah. I think at, at the core of all of our mental distress is an inability to regulate our emotions and understand our emotions. We live in an emotion-phobic society that doesn't value the fact that we can have emotions and we allowed to, should be allowed to express them. So we find ways to push them away or bury them. And I think that leads to a lot of mental distress. Um, and if we don't look into that, then the true healing won't come. So maybe it's like putting the plaster over the wound. Yeah. So it can sort of... So <clears throat> What I understand is that it's it can almost um, lift because obviously um, I know about the medication too, um, but it can almost ease it a bit just to let it's sort of like it's sort of like if it's like a dam and there's a river trying to pass through and you just take off one little stick that's holding it the whole dam together and then as soon as you take that stick away the whole river can finally pass through and make the most beautiful waterfall. It's sort of like that. I feel like oh, that's how I think of it anyway. Um, but, yeah. That's lovely. You think in pictures. Yeah, and I think that really relates to a lot of people. That's how, yeah, that's how I've always thought, I think. So sort of like pictures in my head. Mm. Anyway. Um, if someone is very poor but desperately needs help, what can they do? So if they can't afford things like therapy, what can they do? Because um, I think there is definitely like some free services, but I'm not sure quite sure what um, how you get them and what they are. Oh, I should have done all my research before this podcast, <laughs> shouldn't I? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I know that there are through your GP that you know um, there are uh, services to offer free counselling. I think that that well it depends on where you live in the country of course but you know whether there's waiting lists for that sort of thing and you're probably likely to get you know probably maybe six to eight sessions um so there are 
places for it. There are some really good um, uh, websites, you know, I think Anxiety UK, I think it's still called, is a big website, it's all de devoted to, um, to uh, local minds. Your mind, you know, they have, um, a lot of people have low cost counselling, there's lots of organisations that will offer low cost pay what you can afford via churches, in fact, you know, where I used to work, it was through a church and they offered pay what you could afford, minimum was like five pounds um, and, and if, you, if you were earning so much you'd pay a bit more. Um, so if you look there are various places out there, probably loads and loads but Obviously, we haven't got time to go into that, and I probably because yeah. I don't know the answer to that anyway. Yeah, no, it's very true. Shouldn't, don't go out forcing. Um, are you a therapist full time, or do you do other stuff like other things to make money as well? Yes, I do. I mean, I don't think I could work full time as a therapist because I think I've got to look after myself, and yeah, that'd be too exactly, many yeah. hours to do. So the other thing that I do is uh, I teach mindfulness and movement. So, you know, mindfulness is very good for your mental health. I haven't really talked about that, but that could be another subject. And uh, being aware of what's going on in your body and through your breath uh, and movement, because that's really good for you as well. So sort of my classes are like a mixture of a bit of gentle yoga and stretching and mindfulness all blended together. So I do that and I teach classes, uh, live classes on Zoom. Um, so that's how I and that is not so sort of draining in some ways lots of counselling hours can be draining yeah so I need to look after myself to be able to look after the people I'm working yeah. with so yes I do that as well that's really that's really um, that's really cool okay um, what is your lifestyle like are you quite active or you're more of an indoor person yourself I think I'm pretty active. I like to be outdoors. I love nature. I like my mindfulness being out in nature. Used to be walking my dog. You mentioned pets, but sadly yeah. he died last year, so I haven't got a dog at the That's moment. Really um, but you know, he, he had a lovely life, and um, so yeah, I love. I know today I've done my swimming uh, oh, once yeah, a no, week. I go good. swimming uh, once a week. Um, on a lot of walking. I've just been on a holiday to Dorset for a week, where I did a lot of walking. Um, and spent some time at a retreat place where we got involved in the community and you know we, we shared jobs sort of thing which was yep. which was very good so yes I, I would say I'm more of an outdoor person um, than certainly an indoor person yeah yeah no that's 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 pretty interesting thank you um hey what uh would you tell someone if they keep like relapsing on the negative habits so for example like performing compulsions in like OCD or like not showering stuff like that like if people maybe they're not brushing their teeth because they're so like depressed what you know what if they keep relapsing keep doing that what's something do you think they could do to break that chain I think it's sort of related to what we talked about earlier but could you name something maybe that brings to mind when I say that something they could do um it's like break that uh, relapse constant relapse of negative things that they keep doing yeah i suppose it goes back to negative thoughts doesn't it and you know what i do in with therapy is trying to educate people about you know our thoughts and there's usually a you know our thoughts create you know we can get these emotions and we go on a negativity sort of spiral um i think 
compassion to ourselves is really important because often if say we're relapsing or whatever in different things there's that critical inner voice that is often beating you up <laughs> you know I was almost having a go yeah. we've relapsed again duh, duh, duh. but part of what I teach uh, my clients is you know a self-compassion you know how do you start to be kinder to yourself because actually if you're just being very harsh on yourself about relapsing all the time so I think self-compassion is maybe the answer to that in a sense because the person we're least likely to be compassionate towards is ourselves so that's very much part of the work I do with my clients yeah. how do we be, how can you be kinder to yourself yeah. you know, and I think you're less likely to relapse if you're not being so harsh with yourself yes yeah, so if you forgive yourself every time you do something that you know you should if you forgive yourself and just say well I am I am what I am I am who I am I'm just going to try and push through yeah. this compulsive behaviors are a, a way of I think you don't feel safe so you do things to try and make yourself feel safer as an initial yeah. thing but it becomes something that can take over yeah I think you've just got to remember who you are because there's something I've said this before on like a blog post um, but I think there's always room for change to explore yourself and to bring in new stuff to complete you again to fulfill you but I think you always hold some core values within yourself from from birth which is part, part of like biology as well but um, from when you were younger, from when how you're socialised, you always hold certain core values, and I think the core values that are like good, good core values that you have inside of you, you need to remember that, and you need to hold on to that. And if it, if you're lost and you can't find yourself and you don't know who you, you forgot who you were, mm. always reaching for that and always just go by that, whatever happens. Because at least you know you're still being true to yourself, so I think I think that's a, that's that's I I think hopefully that's the way to go about it. Um, okay. Um, so, uh, what? Okay. So, as a therapist, what are the rules you have to abide by when taking in such personal information about clients for anyone thinking about getting counselling? I mean, I think we we touched on that before, but the, you know, the the things that I will spell out to clients is that importance of confidentiality, um, that what people are talking about with me is in that room or on that phone call. Obviously, with a phone call, I'm never sure what anyone else could that person be overheard. I, I no, I yeah. might not know that. Um, obviously, safeguarding would be an issue as well. If if I you know, I would say to somebody if if there was going to be a safeguarding concern where I thought you were at risk of harm or someone else was at risk of harm, there may be times where I would need to speak to somebody else. But I would say that I would talk to uh, you first, talk to my client first and encourage them to maybe do yeah. something about this issue or whatever. Um, so yes, that's very important, the confidentiality, because of course, you know, you want people to feel free enough to talk to you. Um, and often people that are very uh, anxious find it hard to trust. Yeah, that's no, very true. So, yeah. you know, so it's it's very important that, that and, and the only person that I ever would speak to about my clients is my supervisor. So I have someone that helps me with my work, 
So I might go to them and say, I, I'm having trouble helping this client. My supervisor might help me to to sort of, oh, yeah. well, you know, maybe try that or do this. or So that's the only time I would, you know, obviously ever speak about um, yeah. my clients. Thank you. I'm sure that will help anybody who's wondering about getting um, counselling, maybe. Um, okay. Uh, another one I've got is um, if you could get paid without doing uh, work, would you still do therapy? So if you were getting paid anyway, would you still do it, like, just out of, just out to do it to help people, or would you think you would stop it if you were still getting paid? I don't think I would stop, no, I don't think I would stop it. Um, you know, sometimes I have to be careful about the amount of hours I do do, you know, um, but for me, it is a job, it's it's a vocation, it isn't just a job. I think people would have, would have said to me before, you know, how can you do that job? Because it must be really hard. And times it is, but sometimes it can be the most rewarding thing ever if you've had a, someone's, someone's moving on and doing well, like yourself yeah. in a sense, you know, where you were yeah. and maybe where you, you are yeah. is very different. And that gives me a lot of joy um, to have a session with a client where things start to shift, yeah. you know, that is, so I would always want to do this work. Um, and as therapists, it's always that difficult one of, you know, people really need this. And, you know, we're trying as a profession to say, as professionals, we should be getting paid for what we do. But there is elements of time that, that, that I do give some discounts or sometimes I do some free work yeah. because it's, it's sort of giving. Um, but I have to balance that with yeah. obviously my income as well. Yeah, so like you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but do you think like all therapy should be free then, or do you think um, there should be a price on it? Like I mean, there should be a price on it. I do believe that you know you wouldn't go to your physiotherapist and think you'll get it for free. Yeah. But some people do think somehow counselling you should. We have trained for a long time and it's hard work. Yeah. So there's a lot of emotional baggage on your hand to take all of that in and deal with it. So. Um, yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, I think we should be paid, and I, you know, I follow some groups that are people, you know, because otherwise you can be exploited, and there'll yeah, be exactly. jobs advertised for like really bad wage. Yeah. But really, you know, we're qualified. Why would yeah. we? You yeah, know, exactly. So there's, yeah, definitely think we should. Okay. Uh, what's the? Um, I don't know if you know this, but what is the difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist? Just for anybody who's like wondering about what what is what um well as far as i know a psychiatrist has to be a medical doctor qualified first yeah. before they specialize in mental health so they're actually doctors so um but a counselor there's a lot going on at the moment with our profession about different you know how can you call you can you call yourself a psychotherapist or are you just a counselor and what you know, there's a lot going on within the counselling world at the moment. Because actually, there isn't, it isn't a regulated profession. Anybody can still call themselves a counsellor and just set yeah. themselves up. We're not regulated properly yet, and that's another thing. So, um, but yeah, counsellor's done a, a diploma, um, but your, your answer, you know, the psychiatrist is a medical doctor when they specialise. So they can prescribe medication and stuff like that. Obviously, we can't diagnose as counsellors. Obviously, a psychiatrist can. Yeah. 
So they can, so they can, yes, yeah, so they can obviously give all the drugs as well, and they can, they can also like diagnose different. Yes, mental health. Yeah. That. Yeah. Okay. Um. How do people find people like you? Like, how do you market yourself? Where do they look? Have to look to find a therapist? Would they just type it on Google, search therapist near me? Like, how do you market yourself? Do you put yourself on Facebook? Like. I don't put myself on Facebook. I try to keep very low profile on Facebook because it's just out there, and I think yeah. for me that's that's important. Um, but like you said, you can Google find a therapist in your area, and there are some big. Uh, so I particularly am with something called Counselling Directory, where I put a profile up, and you pay them so much a month, and I get referrals from that. But there are others. BACP is, is one of the uh, the bodies, and NCS. These are all professional bodies that regulate regulate but that you know you can be a member of um and you can but find a therapist really what you said find a therapist in my area or you know not necessarily if you want zoom or phone it doesn't really matter um, yeah but yeah it's it's fairly easy counseling directories tend to come up near the top of the list because obviously it's c's or yeah so it comes up quite near the top yeah okay so so it's quite easy and you can just search it up on google and therapist near me and a list will come up so yeah, and then you can look at their profile, see what. Yeah, so does it come up with like a bio and everything? Yes. Or what type of therapist they are? Yes. So, what do you say? What type of like age ranges they deal with as well? Should do. Should she see what yeah. like, what issues they might deal with? How much they charge yeah. should be on there? Do they do face to face online or Zoom? Everything should be on their sort of bio, as it were. Yeah. And a little okay. picture usually, a little bit about me. Do they have like the picture of like the room they'll be in and stuff like that? Sometimes it... my one has got a picture of my room actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've got. They they say what do people go for? It's usually a picture and a little bit about what they say in their bio. People t don't tend to be necessarily, you know, turned on by millions of credentials and whether you've got a theology yeah. in this. But it's sometimes that feeling of. Like being real, you know, having a bit of a as well. Like yeah. if it's quite a cozy little place, and if they if they kind of if they can tell, um, because it's it's also about your personality as well. I mm -hmm. think as a human, so if if they know, it could be even from like if you know from like a friend of a friend that this person is very nice and she's very loving and she's very caring, she's a very warm, lovely person. Then you're more likely to go for that person, even if they don't have really much qualifications and the person who's really qualified but you don't know anything about mm -hmm. so i feel like people would always go for well i think people might warm more towards the person that they um have more knowledge about that that might be able to connect with them more easier um just so they don't feel maybe maybe they make it'll make them less fearful for going into it if they're going to someone that they know is more more warm, more not, more loving, more nurturing. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's it's empathy, isn't it? Nurturing. You, you yeah. you're not gonna if you feel if you don't feel that good energy, you're not gonna open up and talk. So it's creating the safe space. It's creating that space where you feel able to talk. Sometimes it's really difficult to talk. People often don't know what to say, or they might not know what they're feeling. Exactly. So it's yeah. why it takes sometimes time to just build that relationship. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. That's really that's really helpful for anybody who wants to find a therapist and thinking about getting one. Um, okay, what uh, we're getting to the end now, but what what in your opinion should be the first steps in dealing with grief? Like, how should people go about it? If like 
I don't know, you've just lost your mum, for example, or something like that. What do you think, what should they do if, you know, you know when you get hit with that, just, like, I don't know what to do. Like, what what do you think should be the first thing you do? You don't have to answer if you don't want to. No, um, I mean, I think with grief. Well, I think it's more of the shock as well. Like, what do you do when you're, like, in shock, like, or, like, and then, and then the grief hits you after? Like, I think to recognise that it's it's a natural and normal process, you know, that a lot of grief counselling, you know, if someone's lost somebody and there's been a real grief, therapy doesn't often start straight away because yeah. people acknowledge that that is a natural process that you need to go through. If the grief gets stuck or you feel you can't process it, therapy can help. But to recognise that your emotions very normal and okay we tend to shy away from the, the the emotions we feel that are negative but i actually think our emotions probably shouldn't be labeled positive and negative they're our emotions and their energy and we, yeah. i think we need to befriend our emotions more yeah even to. if it's grief even if it's you know sadness or we need to fear. so we say it's like we need to look that we are we are all humans and we are these things do happen this is a, a part of life yeah. but um, obviously it's difficult but um, if we recognise that our emotions that we're feeling right now are normal and you're not the last person or the first person to go through it then I think the next step is acceptance and sort of like a sense of, I think when you accept it it's a sense of closure as well and so that that also helps um, sort of uh, it can sort of it's like the it's like the foundation for building yourself back up again mm. I feel like mm. but, um, yeah okay uh, the next one is um, in what ways can uh, I feel like we've already touched this I might not go over it let me just, um, I was gonna ask in what ways can humans express themselves if they feel actually you know what no in what ways can humans express themselves if they feel they cannot speak of their mental health so what things can they do if they feel like they can't talk to somebody like how could they show the way they're feeling without actually saying anything well i suppose we did touch on it by maybe drawing or, or writing yeah. things down but i think yeah. body you know movement um a lot of people get you know running or moving the body you know a lot of people go down the gym i think yourself go down yeah. the gym don't you and you know it's a way of releasing pent-up energy because emotions become energy in the body yeah so that to release them can be very cathartic let that go you know go running through the woods or something and you know and yeah sometimes just shouting you know just letting your voice out that yeah, can so be using, releasing you know so that's all about this that all correlates to expressing yourself yes and would you uh um could there be anything like that um they could do like as in activities what kind of so I, I know we talked about like fitness and stuff but is there anything else like I know obviously we've got writing and stuff like that um should they do you think people should explore like new hobbies and stuff and look for new stuff in to find new ways to deal with how they're feeling because obviously if they've been dealing with something in the past and obviously if they're dealing with something now or something that's happened in the past and everything that's happening and everything that they're doing now is not building themselves back up. Do you think they should explore different ventures in life to express themselves and to try and find a new 
like path in life or do you think what, what do you what do you think um well look maybe you know that's a question for yourself in a sense because you know you've you've been through this journey in a sense and yeah. i think for yourself you have found things that to express yourself hence why we're sitting here in a sense yeah you speaking to me yeah has been something that has been cathartic for you to develop new hobbies going to you know to journalism or something i do this podcast and everything it's a way your your creativity is coming out isn't it and it's you're expressing yourself um so i think you're talking about yourself really and i think that's really important yeah, for no, people I to think, hear that yeah because um yeah obviously i think yeah um from my own experience i'm trying to like um and obviously i'd be explaining this on like the blog as well and stuff like that just trying to give my own experiences mm. to, and then hopefully people can recognize certain certain situations and then help themselves with it. So I think yeah, it all definitely correlates into what I'm saying and what questions I'm asking. Um, what is the okay? What is the most powerful emotion in your opinion? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. All emotions can be powerful. I mean, there isn't... I don't think there's a most powerful emotion. Maybe there is for the individual at that time. Um, yeah. No, I know. was just curious on your opinion. But... Um, on mine or, or, you know, on generally, is there a most powerful no, on, emotion? On yourself. On myself. What is the most powerful emotion? Uh, the one that I suppose can be... Is anger. Yeah. Because it can be so... Uh, yeah sometimes just happen and it takes you by surprise sometimes so yeah. but but I think all the emotions are very important and should be um, in some you could say like anger is healthy though as well because obviously if you oh, keep yeah. anger inside it's uh it just builds up and then all, all, I think all the emotions are healthy they're all there yeah. to tell you something exactly and it shouldn't like and even if you're sad you should let that out even if you're you're happy if you're happy you let it out so mm. why not when you're sad you let it you should let it out as well and you should let the world know because what you should, at least you should let somebody know because then you're expressing your emotions and that's healthy that's a positive thing to do yeah 100 percent. yes i totally agree um okay um let me see okay so these are okay what i'm gonna do now is some like these are less uh this is just a bit more of like uh, it's like side kind of questions but um, do you think okay so do you know any good quotes that could that you have uh, just always stuck with you like good quotes that you just live by day to day that you just sometimes when you're going through something you just come back to that quote and you think about it and that helps you get through it um, okay there's loads the first one that just came to mind and you just asked me that was be the change you wish to see in the world. Yeah, that's really good. And you, you can name another one, it's fine. <laughs> oh, I could be here all night, Jane, talking <laughs> to quotes, but that one just comes to mind. Um, you are oh. not your thoughts. Yeah, you know, that's, that, that's really one. good. Okay, um, I think we've got about like, two more now. Uh, can you name the biggest inspiration in your life and like, your most powerful role model? Oh dear! Biggest inspiration in my life and my most powerful well, well, role model. Well, 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 they're sort of the same thing. So most inspirational, okay. powerful role okay. model. Okay. Um, oh, um, 
<laughs> oh dear, there's probably loads. Let me just think of something um, to say. Um, I mean, there's lots of people that inspire me. I think um, people that are, I won't say one person in a sense, but I'll say people that are prepared to speak the truth. This is what I'm aiming for, you know, because what you see, in, you know, what you admire in someone else, you're aspiring to be yourself probably. Speak your truth, stand up for the uh, marginalised people that are not treated fairly. Um, and your vulnerability is your strength. So there's a lot of good people that talk about that and they're, they're the people that I aspire to. Um, one comes to mind, Brene Brown. She's someone that does a lot of TED Talks. And I read a lovely yeah. book by I, somebody I called TED, yeah. um, Edith Eager who wrote a, called, a book called The Choice about she was a, a victim and she was in the concentration camps but how she survived that. Yeah. So she's a very inspirational woman. Her name's Edith Eager. So yes, yeah, just a couple that just come to mind. Okay. The last one now. Um, okay, uh, do you know any good books that you can think of that are really powerful in promoting like well-being? Well, I've, I don't know if you like read. Often. I read loads. I mean, yeah. I, I, I've always read lots of self-help books, as I said. I mean, there's so many good books depending on for different subjects. So let's just say. in general, promoting well-being, like just general, like positive, stay positive. That, I um, mean, one of the b best books, or one of the really good books, talks about um, the body holds the emotions, not the head. So there's a really good book called The Body Keeps the Score. So the body, it's, yeah. you know, you've got to look at what's we, going on in the body. Do we know who that's by? Um, it is by somebody called Bessel van der Kolk, I think. Do you know how to spell that? Um, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Not right this minute. Uh, okay. Bessel van der Kolk. Yes, I can, I can let Is you it know. like a... B-E-S-S-E-L-V-A-N-D-E-R-K-O-L-K. -E -E what Maybe? nationality are they? I don't sounds, know. Doesn't I don't sound know. They're very... Uh, I don't know what nationality, but it's a, called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, but it's a very good book. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I think that's... Um, I could say about 300 other books, but we'll be here all night, and I'm sure that... Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's that's the end of it. That's the end of the podcast, guys. Hope you enjoyed. I hope you can um, relate, and hopefully this has really helped you to maybe um, seek help and um, get someone like Joe, like a therapist, to get you through do day to day. Anyway, th thank you, Joe, so much for joining me and actually coming coming on to the podcast. It really means a lot because um, I was really excited for it to be able to do it and. Um, yeah, it's going to be really great to have. And I'm very thankful for your participation in it. So thank you for that. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for, you know, the fact that you've come on so far that you're actually even doing this. So yeah. well done, you. Okay. Thank you. That's the end of the podcast, guys. Bye.